Amid scoffing and slander from those who sarcastically call him Messiah and King, Jesus reveals that to be Messiah and King is to give one's life for others. Here he uses his power to welcome a despised criminal to paradise, but puts his own death into God's hands. The, gospel, the Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 23rd chapter. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing, and the people stood by watching, but the leader scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Messiah of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There is also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged there kept deriding him and saying, Are you not the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed have been condemned justly, for we are getting what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of our Lord. So if you've probably noticed from the bulletin or your Celebrate insert, this is uh, Reign of Christ Sunday, or more commonly known as um, Christ the King Sunday. Um, Pope Leo XI, they're not very creative with their names, created this feast day in 1925 to combat what he called destructive forces of the modern world, secularism in the West, the rise of communism in Russia and fascism in Italy and Spain, which were, of course, precursors of the Nazism that would soon seize Germany. So I don't know if it's actual irony or just irony as defined by Alanis Morissette, but it's like a feast day celebrating the rule of one to, compa to combat totalitarian ideologies. Anyway, kings today mean basically nothing in terms of real power. Contemporary monarchies are largely ceremonial and symbolic in function while still living off the spoils of things like colonialism. But kings of Jesus's era had very real political power and military might. First century Galilee was a time of massive social change and upheaval. And it is in this mess that the roots of our faith are located in resistance to the idolatry of power specifically at that time, the Roman Empire and Herodian Jerusalem, not individual issues of piety. Our Christian faith is not concerned with individual achievements and rankings, etc. It is concerned with communal needs, the public good, resisting systems of inequity, which is difficult when we as a society when we as a society tend to idolize power, consider who or what dominates our news cycles. We've got the obscenely wealthy and what they buy. We have politicians and their various stunts. We have celebrities using their platforms to talk about whatever issue they 
feel is most pressing that day. And we follow or hear about these people because they display power, power that they have earned in some way maybe, or power that we have given them in some way. And we view the vulnerability of powerful people as weakness. Think back to FDR, we now know that he was in a wheelchair for a lot of his presidency because of polio, but as much as possible, he would not allow photographers to photograph him in the wheelchair or anything like that because it, sh it was a display of weakness and not of that power and authority that he wanted to convey. Jesus's, Jesus on the cross is a contradiction of power, of wealth, privilege, etc. Because Roman crucifixion was a particularly horrific death reserved for you know, the worst of the worst. It was public, it was long, it was excruciating. It was a particularly humiliating process. But it is in this humiliation, this vulnerability that Jesus reveals his power in his presence on the cross in that most humiliating of deaths. Where he is mocked by religious leaders and Roman soldiers and one of the men identified only as a criminal hanging beside him, they, in their mocking, still affirm or confirm his identity as the Messiah. And Jesus is not hanging on the cross because he said he's powerful. He's there because those in official places of power feared the power of his followers, those who, had out, who would outnumber these official systems. So they had to get rid of him. Because if you get rid of the source of inspiration, the reason for hope, you again have control over the masses. The man hanging on the other side of Jesus, also identified only as a criminal, recognizes in Jesus both his power and his vulnerability. And it's that both and that really draws me into the hymn we're going to sing in a couple of minutes. Uh, it is, you, Lord, are both lamb and shepherd. And it pairs vulnerable and powerful images of Jesus throughout. Just a couple examples, lamb and shepherd, prince and slave, you preach a narrow way with a love that reaches wide. Jesus is both vulnerable and powerful. Each verse calls him the everlasting instant. Jesus is both eternal and momentary, both divine and human. Jesus is the living God, the living contradiction of power and vulnerability in one. Now, today is also the last Sunday of our church year, and next week with the start of Advent, we begin a new year. This year, as I've said before, our primary gospel has been Luke. Luke's writer begins with a lengthy set of paired birth narratives for Jesus and John, both with different pairings of power and vulnerability. This is the only gospel to give us a story of boy Jesus. You know, that story of him being about 12 in the temple and his parents, you know, taken off again and then three days later realizing that, they've, that he's not with them and they have to go back and then Jesus is all like, ugh, 
Mom, I tell, didn't you know I would be here? Right? Like little snotty Jesus. Luke is the only one who gives us that image of him. Luke's writer gives us a faithful witness of the life of Jesus, just like all of our gospel writers. But one of the unique things with Luke, and we've talked about this before, is that after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, Luke's writer continues the story of the way of Jesus in the Acts of the Apostles, telling late first century hearers, and now us, about the early church's formation invites us into the story, into the continuing story. There's a lot more that we could say about Luke's gospel, some of which we've already talked about this past year, but rather than rehash all of that, let's take a moment and give thanks for the faithful witness of Luke's writer. The Lord be with you. Holy God, thank you for your life incarnate living and dwelling among us. Thank you for showing us power and vulnerability in one. We thank you this morning for the faithful witnesses of your gospel writers, especially Luke, who connects Jesus' story with, the, with us in the gospel and beyond. Help us always to hear and dwell in your living word. Amen. Power and vulnerability of Christ be with you always. Amen.